Hello, fellow listeners. Welcome to Food for Thought, where we inspire you to think and feed you knowledge that can be applied to your everyday life. I'm your host, Juan Cruz. So before we get this podcast started off, um, just wanted to remind everybody, don't forget to rate, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You help me out in many different ways. I've explained in other different podcasts, so I'm not going to get into that, but it's definitely a big help. Definitely been seeing a massive growth in London. And it's funny because I have been thinking about putting out a podcast in regards to chivalry and how London, I do believe, has a big connection with, I think, a dying state, a dying... uh, something that's been lost over time, classiness, chivalry, right? The gentleman, this, and I think in some essence, the monarchy still does have a connection with this according to hierarchy, right? And in how we present ourselves. So in a way, I'm kind of going to touch about this uh, topic a little bit today. So this is a big question that always gets asked and people always say is, how do I find the right person for me? And everyone's always looking for the person that best fits them. But in some sense, the question forces you to answer in a way that is not proper, right? The question itself already shows an immaturity inside of you. It shows a selfishness because what the question really begs to answer, right, is is how do I find the person that conforms to the human being that I am right now. And the que- the truth is, is we, we're not the most perfect human being. And if, if you are not put together, I don't want to say good because good isn't, isn't um, the right word to use because I don't think anybody's really good. I, I think only truly God is good. I think we all live with the corrupt malice that exists within us. But so that's what I say, to be put together, or to, I don't say the word perfect either because I don't think anybody's perfect. So that's why I say none of us are really put together. You know, all of us in some sense have still this lurking weakness that exists within us. You know, this, um, this in some sense, this, this poison, this virus. And it's important that we recognize this because when you ask that question, how do I find the right person for me? What you're asking is how do I find the person that's going to conform to the person that I am right now? And this is a very important question that you have to ask yourself is when you look in the mirror, are you truly happy with yourself? Can you say that, you know, I would be willing to marry myself? You know, because really the important question that we should be asking, I think the question that we should ask ourselves when you're in this search for love, you should be asking yourselves, how do I become the partner right for someone else? You know, and I took this take from Jordan B. Peterson. I really was interested in how he kind of came about this. So I decided to take it and kind of add some other things to it. But it's interesting because you know, what is it that we're living within ourselves? And how do you see yourselves? You know, there's a reason why Prince Charming in many of the movies or Mr. McDreamy is never a loser, right? He's never fat, homeless. Uh, He's not put together with a bad haircut, smelly and undressed, right? Dressed, uh, Dressed like a bum, without a job, going nowhere, 
usually in these movies, when you see Mr. Prince charming, he's always, you know, dressed well, you know, beautiful white teeth. Uh, you know, his hair looks great. He has a good job, good car, you know, probably smells good. Who knows what it is in the movie? But you always see him as this ideal guy and girls tend to fall for him. Now, what he is behind that is different, right? But really the the man itself, when he's Prince Charming, he's genuine, uh, virtuous, caring, loving. And I'm not saying that every man is like this. So be very cautious. I'm not trying to tell you that every single man is going to be Prince Charming. I'm trying to make a different point here. But in these movies, I always like to use movies because movies in some sense depict reality in an abstract form. And you would never see Mr. Prince Charming be fat, homeless, uh, without a job, uh, bad haircut, ugly, nasty, yellow teeth, living inside of a cardboard box. That would never be Prince Charming because no girl would ever find that as an attractive thing. So we see that the girls who tend to watch these movies are always girls that always see that as the ideal man. So, but in some sense, it's not a bad thing. <clears throat> you know, many of us, I think, have gotten into a society where we look over now and we say that that's bad. No, because that's not the truth. You're right. It's not the truth. But I think we've gone too far to the, to the other extreme because, you know, it's, it's, it's important that a girl, that a young man becomes, in some sense, this, this ideal man. Because he should be strong. Because who would want a wife with, you know, that has a husband that's not strong? Not so much the strong physically, but sense, in the sense of a strong character that is not strong enough to, to stand up and defend his wife, the children. When things go wrong, right? When the world is attacking with a certain ideolo- ideological view, you need to have the strength, strength of character to be able to stand up for your family, to protect them. Because in some ways, God has commended you with these children. They, they, he's, he's, he's given them to you, right? You need a reliable. The last thing you want is a man who's not reliable, who he's cheating on you, who you don't know if he's taking his money and using it on drugs, on alcohol, on weed. You want him to be reliable. That when, when he's called upon, boom, with snap of a finger, he's there. You want him also to be adventurous because you don't want to be with someone who's also, uh, you know, boring, that never takes these romantic leaps of faith. There's there's romanticism, you know. Sometimes within the faith, within the Christianity, there's there's this loss of romanticism. You know, it's, oh, well, we're already married. Okay, well, you know, that's just this fakeness in the back and that's not true happily ever after. It doesn't really exist. And they kind of use it as an excuse to be, um, to, they use it as an excuse for the lack of, what's the word I'm looking for? They are using it as an excuse for the lack, for what they lack in character. And it's like, well, no, that's not really, uh, that's not true. Happily ever after doesn't really exist. So you want him also to be competent. You want him to be smart. You want him to know what he's doing. You want him to know that no matter how difficult things get, he's always going to be there and he's going to be able to get the job done. You want him to be productive, that he can do dishes, that he can sweep the floor, mop the floor, that he can change diapers when needed, that he can hold the baby, that he can... um, you know, go out, work, produce, and bring bring home money for the family. You want it to be awake, alert. I mean, these are all things that 
we should look into. And nowadays we're in a generation where a 15-year-old looks over and he says to himself, you know, uh, what do I do? Where, where am I going? He finds no meaning, no direction to his life. So he doesn't find the necessity to get up to work. Uh, so the first thing he begins to do is to play video games because there's no direction to life. So he's just trying to numb out his every day to be able to get to the next step. But there's a lot of things you could do. We, I've noticed this a lot within these younger generations is that, you know, they don't find the necessity to get up and to move. And, and this is destroying our generations because even the parents look over and say, at 15 years old, well, what can he do? You know, at 13 years old, what can he do? He's still a kid. No, he's not a kid. You know, in, in the Jewish religion, you know, the children receive their bar mitzvah, right, at a young age, at 13 years old, if I'm not mistaken, or somewhere around there. But they're considered now to begin to act like men at this point. You know, there's this image of, of the Virgin Mary and Joseph where Jesus is, is on the shoulders of Joseph because you know, he's just received his uh, bar mitzvah. And now at this point, he's kind of becoming a man, right? He's, he's, he's now, uh, the father now begins to bear the burden of the child and he begins to teach him moral character. So you see this at 13, 14, 15 years old, this is not a little boy no more. You, you can begin to instill moral character in him and you can begin to teach him. Listen, if you get to 26 years old, be cautious because you can end up a bum in the future. But we don't like to teach our children about this because we're scared that the darkness is in some, in some ways going to um, destroy them if they see the darkness. No, that's too harsh for them. Sometimes we think, oh, it's too harsh for them to know the darkness. No, it's important that they see the darkness and that they encounter, that you show them what darkness is. You know, I, I've I've said this multiple times, how... You know, it's important that we we teach our children how to contend with evil, but keep it at bay. You don't need to bring them to it, but you show them, you teach them. They're going to learn about it anyways. It's best that they learn about it from you, from the parents, right? But this, this podcast is mainly for those who maybe aren't parents. So I would put that maybe aside a little bit, but... At 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, I think that's the average age of the people that are getting married. If you start working at this at 15 years old, you can be pretty put together by the time you hit 25. You have 10 years in front of you because there's some people who never, ever, ever grow up at 15 years old. They leave, you know, they... they they stay these 15-year-old boys. I mean, what's the difference between a 15-year-old and a 25-year-old What that might smoke weed, that plays video games most of the time? One goes to school, the other one goes to work. But both of them are watching maybe pornography, sitting around, barely clean up. They barely do anything. They always want somebody else to take care of them. I mean, who wants to get married to this? This is the truth. We have to be honest with ourselves. Who wants to marry an incompetent, weak unreliable, non-adventurous, loser, lack of production, very unawake, and just dead to life. Who wants to marry this? I mean, girls, pay attention to this closely because, 
you see a boy that looks cute and you think to yourselves, oh, he's such a cute guy. Let me, let me go after him. You know, it's interesting in the book of, I think, wisdom, it explains like be cautious with looking at a gentleman and his good looks. You know, and, and this, is, this is such a very important thing because you chase this, you chase the shallow representation of the boy. You don't know who he really is. So it's important that a young man begins to bear the burden and begins to work on himself, begins to help out. You know, in, in the house, sometimes people will ask and say, well, what can I do with a 15-year-old boy? Sometimes I hear this in the barbershop. Well, I have a 15-year-old. What do I do with him? Like, what can you teach him at that point? You could teach him to wash dishes, wash his clothes, clean his room. I mean, these are things that begin to build some type of responsibility. Practice this long enough. It begins to push out into other things in life. You know, he begins to clean his room. He sees the positive effects of cleaning his room and how it helps him out. There, Then it goes to his class and, you know, organizing his agenda and organizing his school, organizing his life, his work. It's He begins to see the beauty in one thing and he wants to now put it to practice in organizing everything. But the problem is, is that Nowadays, the parents, and, and, and I hope that I can work on this when this moment comes and I have the strength to be able to tell my children the same exact thing. But the problem is, is that parents look at a child and they kill them when they tell them, you're good just the way you are, son. No, that's terrible. At 15 years old, you're a bum. You're a loser. You have nothing going for you. What can you possibly be doing at 15 years old? You have your few people who maybe, yes, you're probably doing some extraordinary things in life at 15. But a majority of 90% of humanity at 15 years old, you're an absolute loser. That is the truth. And parents need to not be scared because you know what happens? The story of Lion King happens where Mufasa looks over and what does he do? He, he, he takes Simba to the top of a rock and he shows him and he says look at all of the pride land and he says everywhere where the sun touches is ours but wherever there's darkness he says do not go there Mufasa does not want his son to see the darkness so then Simba of course being disobedient the way he is like a little brat he goes off and he encounters the darkness right the graveyard of of the elephants and then the hyenas see him and in some ways father comes to save him Right? But father has encountered this darkness before because he knew where, it, where he needed to find Simba. So he goes there, but he wants to protect his child from the darkness. He doesn't want him to ever confront it. But then eventually what happens? Because Mufasa never wants to look into the darkness again because he himself has found kind of maybe no meaning, no essence into that. So he never likes to look at it. He always likes to see the good, all the light, never uh, looking at the darkness. And that's how Scar takes advantage and ends up killing Mufasa. And then because Simba encountered himself with the darkness, he was able to see the darkness for what it was. So then when he goes to confront Scar, he confronts Scar and ends up taking back the land. So you see, it's important that parents, the parents... And then the young men that are listening to this don't look over and become weak men that look over and say to themselves, oh my gosh, this is too hard to listen to. I don't, you know, I don't want to listen to this because I'm, uh, 
you know, my teeth are ugly. Well, brush your teeth. Wake up in the morning and brush your teeth. Your teeth have gotten yellow because mom and dad maybe don't sit there and tell you to brush your teeth. And now you're 22 years old and you walk into the barbershop. And I tell you because I'm a barber and people open their mouth and it smells like a skunk died in there. I mean, comb your hair. Look presentable. Look nice. Do your hair. Put on some cologne. It's interesting. They had a studies where they... They had uh, young men put on cologne and they told them that the cologne itself would make women more attracted to them. Now, they made videos of them, kind of them describing themselves, but the young men became more confident. Now, the young men that put on the cologne and, sm- and smelled themselves and, and believed in this, they became more confident. And the young men who didn't get the cologne, they were least confident. Now, the women that all watched every single one of the videos, I think there was about 20 men or 50 men, half and half, right? Half that received the cologne and half that didn't get the cologne. Now, the half that sprayed their cologne, when they recorded the video, they were a lot more confident. The other half that didn't were not as confident. They actually lacked the confidence. So the women, guess who they found more attractive? was the men that had the cologne on. Now, remember, they couldn't smell it, but the men could smell it. And in believing and and becoming confident in themselves because they thought that women would be more attracted to them, they were more confident in the videos. So there is a lot of science to this. It does help, you know. uh, Now, but you have to ask yourself, this is the thing is, if you looked at yourself at 15, 22, 23, 24 years old, and they truly knew who you were, I mean, if you could, if you could look at yourself in a third-person view, you would run away screaming, right? And, and this, is, this is something that is, is, is very dangerous because we constantly hear from parents, you're good just the way you are. That's a very destructive thing. It's important that parents call out their children, not in a bad way and not in a, in a disgraceful way and tell them that they're dumb or stupid, but to say to themselves, right, to say to the children, you could do better, especially when you know that the child can do better. But nowadays, this has become, we've become such a cancel culture, weak society that you can't even tell your son that he could do better than what he's doing right now because you know that the potential that exists in him for the future I mean, I always say that I believe that the that there must be a balance between the fatherly and the motherly love. The mother always sees the child for who he is today, and the father always instills moral character for tomorrow and sees him for who he can be tomorrow and sees the potential in him. But if you coddle the child, you spoil him for for tomorrow. But if you only see the child for tomorrow, you destroy him today, therefore destroying him for tomorrow. So you see... It's important that you find an even balance of the two. I'm not saying kill the child, but I'm also not saying coddle him. Find an even balance of telling him what he needs to better himself in. Because if you think about it, in 10 years, if you start at 15 years old, young men, they think to themselves, what can I do at 15 years old? Where can I be? Start at 15 years old working on these things. And if, even if you're 22, 23, start working on this. At 10, in 10 years, five years, I mean, you'd be amazed how decently put together you can be and how much things you can work on. Because the last thing a woman wants is a boy who hasn't grown up. This is the image of Peter Pan. Peter Pan never gets the real girl. 
Why? Because Peter Pan never grows up. He's the king of the lost boys. And who is he with, right? In order for him to be able to fly, he always has to think of wonderful things because he can never think about the bad. But in order for you to better yourselves, you have to think about the bad. You have to see the bad for what it really is. You have to see the bad that exists inside of you. You can't live in La La Land, in Disneyland all the time, you know, sprinkling fairy dust all over yourself and acting like the real world doesn't exist. This is the problem that happens with a lot of these young boys. They play video games for hours and hours and hours and they don't want to confront reality. They just want to live in this fakeness all the time. So they want to sprinkle fairy dust all over themselves and not put their feet on the ground and live on earth. They want to live in La La Land in the clouds. So it's a very, very important thing because what is, who does Peter Pan end up with? Peter Pan ends up with Tinkerbell, right? Uh, like Jordan Peterson says most many times, the porn fairy. She is the porn fairy and she's obsessed with him, right? And this is what addictions are in some sense. They, they become like an obsession, like an addiction that grabs and latches onto you and doesn't want to let go of you no matter what. And we don't want to let go of it. You know, instead of getting the real girl, he doesn't get the real girl. And boys, this is the truth. You don't want to grow up. Well, why should any girl want to be with you? Why would any girl want to be with you? An unreliable uh, loser that's weak in character, that's not competent or productive. I mean, who would want to be with that? It, rightfully so, a girl should look over and say to herself, even as a Christian girl, she should say to herself, I want a, a young man who has control of himself, that has a strong character, not, you know, not a... Not a misogynist, right? And I'm not talking about the misogynist that the extreme liberals speak about. I'm talking about a misogynist, the machista, right? Like, we're going to say it because I said we're going to say it. That's, I don't mean that type of man, right? A strong man. I mean a strong man that can control his impulses. You know, she, she, she's, if, if she's smart enough, she thinks for the future. She prophetizes her own future. And she says to herself, I... I am looking for a young man that is that has these characters so that we can build a nice, strong Christian family, right? Even if you're not a Christian, you must say to yourself that we can build a good family that aspires towards the heavens, towards the bettering constantly. So this is, this is very key. Because remember, Peter Pan never ends up, he never grows up. And most of these newer generations will never, ever grow up. They want to live that bachelor life. And the bachelor life isn't everything. It just shows the shallow, superficial life. It's if you think that going around and being single and you say to yourself, oh, if I'm single, that's the best life to live. No, really what it is, is you're, it's a shallow representation of who you are all the time, right? Because it's fun, maybe in the beginning, because you're living by your impulses and all, you know, and you don't, they're truly not accepting the suffering of life and they're not confronting the realities 
So they walk around every night, you know, finding a new place to sleep with a new girl every single night. And they think that in the beginning that it's fun, right? At least they think it's fun, quote unquote, I'm putting air quotes here. But really what what this young boy is doing is he's he's not having the fun of his life. What he do is what he's doing is he's, he's being a slave to the impulses of his body. And he's sleeping with the shallow representation of that girl. You're not sleeping with that girl. You're sleeping with the shallow representation of that girl. So you, you stay this bachelor life. And okay, fine, you do this. But what do you think? At 45, 50 years old, it gets harder to get a woman because you're probably getting fatter. You're getting uglier. You're more wrinkled with white hair. The beautiful thing about women is women don't fall in love necessarily with the most handsome guy in the world. Women fall in love with this strong character, confident, loving man. This is the beautiful thing about women. Men were not so much like the women. Women see the true, most women. Remember, a lot of the things that I say is not absolute, but most women do see the true representation of the man and fall in love with him the being, the character inside of him. But truth be told is, you know, when that moment comes and you hit 45, 50 years old, nobody really wants to, nobody really wants to be with you at that age anymore because you've built such bad habits. You're old, you're wrinkly, you probably smell because it's harder for you to shower. Who knows what? You're probably depressed at life. And you just look like a 16-year-old boy You're just that creepy uncle that still hasn't gotten married and hasn't grown up and you still think it's cool to hang out with the teenagers and, you know, your your uncle's sticky. You're just that uncomfortable uncle that nobody wants to be around. And as soon as you get drunk, it gets uncomfortable to be around you and everybody leaves the party and you're the person that they whisper about in the corners. This is what you become when you live that bachelor life. And then in the end, you think to yourself, oh, I'll find a woman when I'm 45, when I'm 50. I know men who it gets harder and harder to find women. And they've built such a habit, such a lifestyle that by the time they do find a younger woman that's 30, you know, the the woman after after he lies to her and puts this superficial fakeness in front of her, she figures out like most women do. They figure out what the what the man is. That he's this lazy bum that doesn't clean, that doesn't take care of his house, that doesn't do anything. And then what happens? And then the woman looks over and says, well, I'm going to leave him. Because not only is he, not only is, is he unbearable to deal with, but he's not even young. And the young has a big rep- representation because at least the woman looks over at an older man, at a younger man and says, well, you're still young. You have potential to become this. But when you're older and you're living that bachelor life and you finally find yourself a woman, it's, it's, they're not, age is not as forgiving to the woman. Because she says, mm, you don't have the youth in front of you. You know, this is years of you becoming uncomfortable, uh, a loser in life. So, and this all happens in the subconscious of many, many women's head when they date an older man that's in their 40s. And then they're in their 20s or their 30s. They say to themselves, oh, he's probably not going to change. Because if he hasn't changed now, he probably never will. This is, 
the thing that a young man has. He has his youth in front of him. It's such a big, this is why it's important that young people take advantage of the youth that they have. The women in their beauty and the men in their youth. Because in some ways, when, when difficulties come, it's more forgiving. It's more easier to be forgiving. And subconsciously, the other partner sees that and says, well, they still have life ahead of them to change. Right? And this is, this is a, a big thing. This is why having children is also an important thing. It's not, it's not the only way to grow up. But... I will say this, it's, it's definitely one of the better ways to help you grow up. The other ones are a lot harder. But having a child, what it does is it helps you grow up because for the first time ever, you realize that another human exists that you would be willing to do anything for. For the first time ever, you are selfless. You know, me and my wife, you know, we talk about this and we always say, you know, we, tr- we, we think that we are completely selfless for each other. But it's not so instinctively with my wife and myself, right? Like if, if I had to jump in front of a, a, a bullet for my wife, I'd probably do it, but I'm not gonna lie, there'd be a split second of hesitation before I do do it. But for my child, it's, it's kind of like instant jump. It's, 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 it's nature. It's natural for the mother and the father to just jump instinctively in front of the child. But... This it's not so much with, with a couple, right? This is why love is so beautiful because you're choosing to love them. You're choosing to jump in front of them, right? They don't have your blood and you're still choosing. This is what makes love so beautiful, the free will. But anyways, I'm sidestepping here. But it's important because the child helps you grow up because for the first time ever, you are truly selfless with another human being. You begin, you know, when you become selfless, in some sense, it helps you grow up. You begin to clean for the child. You begin to put things in order in life for the child. You begin to pay bills on time and not let the electricity, uh, you know, uh, shut off or, or your insurance gets cut out or your cell phone gets cut out or the kids, you know, they need to eat. So you eat more healthier. So you eat better and, and you start to take care of yourself because you know that that child needs a father in 15 years or a mother in 15 years. So... Having a children helps you grow up. Now, I do believe that you should wait till after marriage. Maybe I'll do a whole po- podcast on that. But, but women bring out the best in men. This is, in some sense, the chivalry. Back in the day, the knights, when they used to go off, right? Because quick explanation on chivalry. Chivalry was kind of created for the knights because they used to, knights were kind of, they were, they were, they tended to be thieves, uh, bad people. They weren't the greatest and they would use them to go out and to fight and to protect. So the knights in some sense were not the greatest. So they needed, knights were kind of getting a bad represent, a bad reputation. And as they would get this bad reputation and the, the bad reputation would continue to grow, they needed to find a way to fix this so that the knights would have a good representation. Now, were all knights always the best? No. But they decided to put chivalry into the knights. They implement chivalry into the knights. And, you know, when a knight would go off to win, to fight a battle for the kingdom, the women would give sometimes a handkerchief to the man. 
and that handkerchief would have maybe some scent, uh, whatever it was, of the woman. And the man would hold that handkerchief and he it, it, it would remind him of her. And what he would do is he would go out and try to fight and win a battle so that he could come back and tell the girl all the stories and, and say, this is what I did. And he could bring souvenirs and say, look at the battles that I've won. Look at the war that I went to. <clears throat> so <clears throat> you see this, how, how women bring out the best in men. You know, you see this with, with chaos and order. I explained in, in, in my, one of my podcasts the difference between chaos and order, man and woman. Women are, rep- are the representation of chaos and men are the representation of order. You know, chaos isn't a bad thing, so don't judge me, women. But you see how in the book of Genesis, you know, it says that the world is in chaos and, and God puts order into it. So what a, a woman does is she brings out the best possible man in him the best the best what's the word the best gentleman the best christian man that exists in him because out of chaos order will arise because when there is chaos we must implement more order to fix the chaos so you see out of out of this this woman, the best possible man will arise because the man will always want to impress. He always wants to show off for the girl. So how do you find the right person? Well, maybe what you should do is become the prince and find the princess. Be Prince Charming and you'll find the beloved. It'll... it'll It'll scream the call. You know, we were watching this National Geographic film with our children. And it's interesting how all these animals in some ways always try to show off their strength, their power, uh, the beauty of who they are. They do these dances. Uh, they, they try to show off their strength. And we do too. Men do the same thing. When you first meet a girl, you're always trying to find ways to impress her. You're trying to show off whether your economical standing, um, you know, how you dress, how you look. But, but nowadays, it seems like we've kind of almost lost that a little bit. It's no, it's, it's don't look at that. And it's like, I think we've lost in some sense the chivalry, the gentleman, this gentleman that exists within everyone. You, the last thing you want is to find yourself a partner that is not put together. Because here's the thing. If you're a lazy, overweight, yellow tooth, bad haired, smelly breath, lazy, unproductive, bum without a job, who do you think you are going to get the pickings from, right? What are going to be your pickings? It's going to be an opposite that matches the level of character that you are. So what I'm saying is, if you find yourself with a lazy girl that doesn't brush her teeth, that's not put together, that doesn't cook, she barely works out. uh, And I'm not saying because to take for sexual reasons, but if if you work out 
it, it, it takes a certain discipline for you to constantly be working out, right? You take care of yourself for your husband. Husbands take care of themselves for their wives. You know, Andrew Tate says something that got himself into so much trouble, and I don't like the way he worded it, but I do agree with him. I do believe that when you get married, you become the property of the other, right? You, the wife belongs to the man and the man belongs to the wife. And I take it in the sense of the mind and the heart, right? One without the other cannot coexist. They are both equally important to the body. You shoot the heart, you die. You shoot the brain, you die instantly. Done. But the brain does guide the heart. And the heart does pump blood and oxygen to the brain. They're both a necessity. So the last thing you want is to marry a person that's unreliable. So in five years, when the person is not waking up early in the morning to cook and clean for the children, when they don't want to go to work, and you're in debt $5,000, $6,000, $15,000, because they're lazy and they want to play video games and smoke weed and whatever money they do get, they're using it on drugs or on their video games or on their new cell phone because they have no discipline and they don't want to make any sacrifice for the children and the children are dressed badly, well, then you can understand why you're in this position that you're in. It's interesting because, you know, uh, I was trying to, I was thinking about this, you know, very thoroughly before I, I got into this, but it's um, a young man's character. This is what the book of Ecclesiastes says. It says, a young man's character appears in what he does if his behavior is pure and straight. And then just a few verses later, it says, do not love sleep or you will know poverty. And this whole, um, this whole chapter, it's chapter 20, verse 11 and then verse 13, is speaking a little bit about a man's life. And it's, it's so important that we instill moral character into our children and that you work on your moral character. You want to find love, become the diamond, and the miners come after you. Become Prince Charming, and you'll find the princess. Let's not ask ourselves, how do we find the person that's right for me? But ask yourself, how do I become the partner, the right partner for someone else? How do I become the partner right for someone else, better said? So, good luck. And until then, God bless. So definitely thank you for listening. Hopefully this podcast helps you out. Share the podcast, rate the podcast. Uh, I'm, I always say I'm a controversial podcast. So some, some of the topics that I talk about, I'm going to try to move to some other things. I've been thinking some other things that I kind of want to get into. Um, there's, I'm still uh, going to put out the podcast that I did say uh, on the last one. Uh, I'm I'm working on one there. We we had it the date set up and then one thing led to another and then we weren't able to put it all together. So until then, I will put out another one next week, but it might not be the same. I'm going to switch over from kind of pushing so much self-help psychology, all this stuff. I kind of want to go into something that I am interested in myself and I've been wanting to get into, which is conspiracy theories. So Hopefully, maybe you'll want to listen to it. Maybe I'll put somebody else on the podcast to jump on with me that has some other conspiracy theories too. I love conspiracy theories. Do I believe in them? Mm, 
90% of them, no. But there are some real good ones out there that I do like that they're always catchy. Sometimes it's nice just to drift off a little bit for just a few seconds and find new things, uh, things that make absolutely no sense. So, but we'll talk about that more next time. So until then, God bless and take care.